It's Friday, October 28th, 2016, and you're listening to episode 420 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 59 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. You didn't do... This is still Wayne. No, because we only stopped a second into it. Oh, okay. It doesn't count for that. No. All right. Who are you again? I'm Chad. And Didn't this is Brodor. <laughs> so, at dinner, Chad. I came to find out two things. One is they'll keep bringing you cold sake bottles as often as you order them. The <laughs> other thing I found out is you our... You don't even need a credit check. <laughs> those fools. <laughs> is our second arch nemesis. See, this is like if the Joker got killed and it was impossible to ever bring him Wait, back by like some act of Congress. Who's the first arch nemesis? Dragon's Landing Dragon's in. Landing in. Which we have boost, defeated, yes. crushed under our massive When shoes. Fear the Boost... Well, if you're the boost. <laughs> now I'm back to the challenger jokes. <laughs> when Fear the Boot first started, they did blow up in the boost phase. But anyways, when Fear the Boot first started, the top dog amongst RPG podcasts, right? The gold standard everybody was listening to was Dragon's Landing In. Never so, heard of him. So Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Guess who won that war? <laughs> no, it wasn't a war. They were cool guys. They, they, act- they yeah. actually sent us a lot of listeners, so to speak. You know, they were early fans of us. Yeah. They, they actually were really good guys, right. and, and they actually live in outstate Missouri. They're here in the same state. Because there's not much to do in Missouri except role-playing games, podcasting, and baseball. No, and you would not believe the number of podcasts that are in or have been in the past Missouri. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a sh- like if you destroyed the state of Missouri in some like California-style earthquake, like RPG podcasting, as we know it, would cease We to have exist. great voices in Missouri. No, I think it's just really boring here. No, I think we have great voices, <laughs> well, too. Well, that, too. I mean, it's boring as (laughs) (laughs) We do have faces for radio, so... Well, also true. (laughs) I have a great voice because of acidic, transgenic Dan. Like, I truly believe the reason I have sort of the the deep, you know, enrapturing voice that I do (laughs) is because of all the acid burns to my vocal cords. Yeah, my voice just sucks, and you're going to have to deal with it. (laughs) Yeah, your ideas suck, too, is all the blood in your brain. But... (laughs) He did. And again, you have to deal with it. <laughs> anyway, so Dragon's Landing In at the time that we started was, I believe, the most listened to RPG podcast that was out there. And Chuck and Lonnie, the two guys that ran it, were really great guys. Were really great. Were. Now they're buried, rotting in your backyard. Right. But I just thought they were producers on Ken and Robin talk about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, no, that'd mean they're still relevant in some way. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> shots fired and so we had all kinds of barbs launched between the two shows and then unfortunately they quit the field and it was like it's like i need you you know right, right? <laughs> i mean they are the joker to our batman right we needed them we don't understand mm-hmm. ourselves without them anymore and so when they quit the field there was just like this huge vacuum like i, I don't even no, know why we're like, out here like not even a vacuum. They're not vacuuming your floors anymore. They're, They're not, not mowing your my grass. lawn. Yeah. I had to fall back to Carla for yard work. I know, right? And so then, fortunately, the Lord provides. And so several years later, along comes our new nemesis <laughs> in the form of Happy Jacks. Because I genuinely believe 
Dragon's Landing End quit on episode 99, and a lot of people really wanted them to come back, do an episode 100, and just sort of book in the whole thing. Say goodbye. Yeah, yeah. right. So we should have them on. I don't know if we I, could get them on. I, don't, I think they've stopped. Yeah, like they won't do this completely. anymore. Yeah, Because I actually well, tried a couple times to get them yeah. on. And if anyone knows them, tell them that we still want to have them on. They can do episode 100 on Fear the Boot. Since while people, they cut your grass. Yeah, while they mow the lawn. <laughs> We can just give them like you some kind of like. Although it is really loud, cutting grass. Maybe while they fold your laundry. What makes you think I let them use an electric mower? Oh, that true. might wake me up. That's true. <laughs> they can either use They're a barrel right mower scissors. or scissors. Yeah. yeah. The key is they can come and give us free content. Yes, exactly. Yes. But so there was a show, Happy Jacks, which is not in Missouri. It is in California, which we don't need a California-style earthquake. They'll go into the ocean and a <laughs> California-style earthquake in California. Eventually, it's just a waiting game for it us. Is. It really is. And before they slide into the ocean, if you look at the format of their show and just the way they conduct it, they remind me a lot of Dragon's Landing Inn. So anyone who's been around that long with RPG Podcast, I truly believe that they are the spiritual successors. They're as close as you will ever get to episode 100 plus of Dragon's Landing Inn. So then while I'm at dinner, the second lesson I learned is that apparently... They are appearing as musical guests this coming Friday, which by the time the show drops will have been the prior Friday. So I guess if you have like, I don't know, like cable on demand or something, you might be able to pull this up. But they are apparently appearing on Hell's Kitchen as the musical act because they do That's the like, one where the British guy yells at people, right? Yeah, yes. yeah, right, exactly. And you wonder how he doesn't get shot doing this in America. <laughs> I guess he has to form out on the West Coast because if you film that out like in Florida, that probably is grounds to kill the man. And in Missouri, it's not grounds, but it's like, you know, find me a jury that would convict <laughs> on that sort of thing. But the point being that they are apparently the musical guests and Wayne was telling me about the stuff they're having to go through or did go through. Yeah, because they talked about it on Happy Jack's a uh, couple weeks ago because they weren't sure exactly when it was going to come out because they're about as organized as we are sometimes. And they filmed it two years yeah, ago? Yeah, they said it was about two years ago that they record that far in advance that when they went in with all of their material, they had to shrink it down. And then they were told they had to shrink it down to like seven seconds. Yeah, literally seven seconds. Now... These guys, in addition to the podcast they do, part of the reason they appear in seasons is because they also do Ren Fairs and they have a musical act. That, the Poxy Boggards. The Poxy Boggards. And then the wives are the Merry Wives of Windsor. Okay. Thank you, because I'm a few bottles in too deep to tell you what that any of that was. I'm so cool. whatever Wayne said, <laughs> Happy Jack something, I don't know, just it's on Google, I'm sure. Or Bing, if you're... Eh, it may not be on Bing. But <laughs> the point being... Your brother... Is rolling his eyes at you right now. Oh, dude, I work with a guy who... All right, now I make my money off of Microsoft. Yeah, so, so do I. Because I do primarily .NET development, IIS, MS SQL, things like that. I know other languages. If, if I, Microsoft I know, and Microsoft products disappeared from the face of the earth tomorrow, everyone in this house except Brodor is going to have some serious problems. Well, I could fall back. I do know some other things. I know like PHP yeah. and some other stuff, but... I would certainly have to brush up in some areas where I'm weak. I'd have to start selling my body. <laughs> you see, for me, if people just lost weight, here's the one common thread among all people that have a CPAP or a BiPAP or APAP or whatever. There's two things. You're old and or you're fat. If people just dieted and exercised, I would be out of a job. <laughs> you're safe. <laughs> Do you know how many doctors in general 
And the third one on this list is what's going to get us the hate mail. By the way, show content is all run through Wayne, so be sure to send it to Wayne at com. <laughs> but there are three things if you got rid of, it would almost put doctors out of work. And it's obesity, smoking, and motorcycles. Every trauma center and every surgery center in the U.S. just about would have some serious financial issues if you got people to stop smoking, stop being fat, and stop riding motorcycles. There's well, still heart disease and cancer, though. <laughs> Wayne's... Pulling for the heart disease and cancer. <laughs> Wayne, the heart disease primarily comes from obesity and the cancer primarily comes from smoking. Not entirely. I've no, lost... there's, there's a lot of other types of cancer. Well, okay, that's true. I don't smoke. I've lost 90 pounds since 2006. You and... got rid of your CPAP? And, Good job. I never had a CPAP. Although... <laughs> that's because you never had a sleep study. <laughs> no, they would have been like, dude, yeah. you're fat. <laughs> oh, no. Dawn tells me I snore like a lot. Like, Well, that's fine. As long as you don't stop snoring. Right. That's when you need a CPAP. All right. It's but, when you're so morbidly obese that you can't breathe like me. She says I talk in my sleep. Oh, yeah. And then I laugh in my sleep. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean I laugh in my sleep? Do I like, ha, 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 just out of, you know, sit right up and start pointing and laughing? She's like, no, it's it's, it's like you... You tell a joke and you laugh at your own joke. I'm like, what? That's me while I'm awake. Yeah. She's like, why do you have to be asleep for that? That's she's like, you'll be laying there completely unconscious. All of a sudden you'll go like, and so I did the the thing with this. (laughs) I would record that if I were her. (laughs) This reminds my wife. I am a funny guy. So my wife told me she didn't store. So I recorded her story (laughs) once and made her listen to it. We went to school with a guy named Brad. I don't know if you remember him or not. Okay. Is that Asiago? Never mind. No, no, no. (laughs) Blonde-haired guy, whatever. Yeah, Asiago! He's the mellow cheese. Oh, is that what? Okay, yes, he was super mellow. I won't use his last name out of of respect. Yeah, he was a super cool guy. He was my college roommate at the first college I dropped out of. Yep, it was him. (laughs) And, uh... Holy crap, does he talk in his sleep. Does he really? And he says some horrifying things. (laughs) Like, when he falls asleep, he is angry... He is violent. He is profane. This is a guy. Like, it was actually freaky. Like, he would actually scare the crap out. Because, like, I was his yeah. roommate. And then we had some friends there that sometimes would just crash in our room just because we all got to hanging out late. Sure. And there were several times where we'd all be awake as he'd be sitting over there just threatening everybody and cussing everybody and talking about he's going to kill everybody. Wow. And we were just all like, Wow. So like what the, the juxtaposition on this guy is amazing, right? I mean, this dude is I used to call him Asiago because he would give me rides home from school. He had on his glove compartment a sticker. You know how like those slices of cheese in the in the groceries, the fancy cheese, not the American sandwich, yeah, yeah. would have it's like shrink wrapped and there's a sticker on him. Well, he peeled the sticker off of uh, some Asiago cheese for whatever reason. And stuck it on there. And it said, Asiago, the mellow cheese. And I called him that, and several other people called him that, because he was so mellow. Yeah, he was so chill. He was such a cool guy. Until he fell asleep. And then it was <laughs> yeah. like the man was a Game psycho. Yeah. yeah. So my mom told me stories about my brother. When he would sleep, you could ask him questions and he would answer them. He would always wonder how she knew everything he did wrong because he would admit it at night. Wow. Carla does something similar, except it's not based on reality. Mm. And then I'll just start telling her you're asleep. And she's like, no, I'm not. I'm like, yes, you are. (laughs) But pigeons really do tunnel underground. Yeah. Chicken nuggets. She once woke up freaked out. And she's like, uh, we had a dog named Watson at the time who's deceased now, but the time we had a dog named Watson. And 
she woke up supposedly, right? She mm-hmm. sits up while I'm still sitting there playing a video game. She's like, what are we going to do about all the loose wires coming out of Watson? <laughs> and I'm like, go back to sleep. She's like, I'm not asleep. Like, this is serious. <laughs> and I'm like, your dog is not a cyborg. Go back to sleep. <laughs> and she had another one where she comes out in the middle of the night. And I'm sitting there playing a video is game. Is she sleepwalking or is she just not? She's awake and she just hasn't fully transitioned. I think it's that. Yeah. She's not sleepwalking. She's just not quite fully awake. And she came out. And she's like freaked out. It's like three in the morning and she's like, I'm late for work. <laughs> and I'm like, it is Saturday night into Sunday morning. You are not late for anything. Yeah. And she starts arguing with me about it. I'm like, go back to bed. And then she starts arguing about whether she's asleep. But she woke me up another night to tell me about the boats on the ceiling. <laughs> God, that is a hell of a trip. Can you imagine that? Like the Lionel the- Richie in a captain's hat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But the ceiling is all water. All right, and there's so the other things. This is awesome. We're right on topic here. So the other <laughs> the other thing I came to find out about at dinner was that Happy Jacks is going to appear for as a musical act, right on Hell's Kitchen. On Hell's Kitchen, and these guys, you know, they normally do Ren Fair, so they have their songs, which I'll guess being a Ren Fair are somewhere between three minutes and an hour. You can't really tell because they all sound about the same. <laughs> and Wayne is like, I'll apparently, again. shots fired. The, sh- <laughs> the show producers come in and say, yeah, we need you guys to shorten your songs up a bit and specifically tell them not like 30 seconds where you can maybe get you know a few bars in, but seven seconds. And I'm like, what can they possibly do in seven seconds, and the only thing I came up with was RPG advice. <laughs> they could fit all of that, all the RPG advice they've gotten to about seven seconds. They could do the banjo thing from Deliverance. <laughs> or do like a Muddy Waters thing. Yeah. They were making jokes about it, you know, just singing out ingredients. Fish. <laughs> Fish. <laughs> I've got it set to record, so next time I'll have to uh, tell you what happened on it. All right, so we're going to hear about this, but probably once they're off of NDA, if they're even on one, we're going to have to find out from then what this was like. Like, yeah, being used for allowed- a whopping seven seconds of a TV show. Like, even the no- Ain't Nobody Got Time for That Lady, Sweet Brown. Yeah. Even she got more than seven seconds. Yeah. They actually weren't allowed to even say that they had recorded on there until it was booked on TV, until it actually showed up in like TV Guide. Yeah, they that, weren't allowed that, to that's say That's like a huge season spoiler is Happy Jacks appears on there for seven seconds. God, I remember TV Guide. Like you actually needed a TV guide to figure out yeah. when things were on. You yeah, just turn like your it TV came all on up and... in the newspaper. No, was, no, t- that no, was, it was a magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. TV guide was a separate yeah. magazine. They you, had but you had grids and time. But you had the TV schedule and, yeah. that came rolled up in Schedu- the newspaper. A schedule to watch TV is a artifact oh. from a barbaric time. I know. Or, or is this, <laughs> it had a TV crossword in the back too. I forgot about that. <laughs> We've come so far as a society. <laughs> So, Chad, you had a gaming topic somewhere in there about something, something, yes. planning character arcs, something, something. No. 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 Okay. <laughs> what was your topic then? Was it the Challenger? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, I was thinking about, you know how characters have, many characters have that sort of defining moment. Yes. It's like, you know, where you 
roll that critical hit and take out the bad guy in one shot, but you're actually the grandmother. It's the defining moment or, or you, you know, it's like you're playing a shy character, but you know, this rolling sort of thing where the bad guy is giving you all this abuse and then you stand up to him and you, you know, sure. make this speech that's awesome. And then when everybody fly punches Biff in the face. Right. Yeah. It, it's not necessarily combat rolling, but it could be that. But it is the character defining moment that when the game is said and done and over with and nobody remembers the GM's stupid, useless plot, they remember that one thing sure. about that one character. It's like when the stripper realizes that the shy guy actually has a lot of money. <laughs> um, no, but <laughs> I have one of those moments yeah. that just came up recently and it didn't just happen recently, but, uh, on Facebook, they're talking about what are your favorite memories from fear of the con over mm-hmm. the, all of the years of it. And one of mine goes back to fear of the con three, Whatever. four, one of the yeah. early ones. And it was a dread, the last hurrah game. Mm-hmm. And my character makes the decision to leave the group and Churcher's there. And he's one of the other players, and he realizes why my character's making the choice, and he comes over and gives me this big hug, and I have this huge character moment. The defining moment of that character was to get in the car and drive away. No combat. It was just everything led to that one moment where he realizes, my life, if I go out that door, is I'm taking my kid, and I'm going. Right. And that's still, to this day, I remember that character moment out of that game that was... What, seven years ago? Yeah. Well, before I actually get into the meat of the topic, what are character-defining moments that you guys have that you remember? Why are you looking at me? Because <laughs> you do this shit to me all the f***ing time. Like, you, two been, you two have been drinking. We know it impairs memory and recollection. Let's ask you questions you about your past all the time because you know i don't read that the episode thread i never read what the topic's about and you're like think of some cool stuff that you could talk about on the show that happened in a game and then you're like chad what is that time that happened this thing with your character that time well, and i'm like you know what st- the, i don't even know who you are Dude, what am i doing because here? you keep talking long before and after you've had content right i can count on that broder don't you love it when they bicker like a married couple it, it's actually remarkable to see I mean the rings on the tree that is your relationship are visible it's amazing to count I was playing a character Mm -hmm. was it it a null? no this is not an Arl story this was in a game we actually referred to about two episodes back what we called the all-stars game Mm -hmm. and for anyone who's just catching through the boot first time very quick catch up Mm -hmm. what we did was there was four of us it was me Chad Bim and Paul, and <laughs> each of us picked our favorite character that we had ever played, mm-hmm. and we found a way to make them work in the same story, even though they had even not... though the games were totally separate right, and not right. even remotely related to exactly them, we right. altered the characters and, and and yeah, and we found a way to do it that wasn't riffs yeah and so and we did rotating GMs, and the setup of my character, which I actually figured into the way that the story ended the sort of it's a finishing moment to the character, but the story doesn't end there was he was a human from earth. Okay. Now the reason that's important is that this takes place in like, think star Wars, some other galaxy, some parallel dimension. They don't even know what earth is, right? There are humans, but they're not from earth. They just happen to coincidentally look exactly like humans, but they're not technically, you know, earthling humans. And he came from way into humanity's future on Earth. And so 
the game master who had created the setting basically said that the two or three warships that he had with him under his command were just wildly outlandishly advanced. Because he asked me to explain the setting, and I said, well, humanity has continued advancing from where we are today, unbroken, no nuking into the Stone Age. We just keep developing, 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 developing. And he's a humanist in the much more literal sense of the word. He's a philosophical humanist. And so, you know, he's like, that's got to be some insane level of technology. So he had these two or three warships that are like the most advanced thing that anyone in this parallel dimension had ever seen. And one of the things that had given humanity a pressure cooker in that reality that he came from was there was a couple alien races that they were fighting against who could give them a serious run for their money. Unlike this dimension where, okay, he only had two or three of them, but they were almost like a fleet under themselves. But he still only had two or three of them. He couldn't want a war with them. And so a story we told two or three episodes back is about the end of that arc when he's got that as sort of the centerpiece of a fleet and is basically preparing to take on the great alien menace of that galaxy. And while his ships are powerful, the fleet overall is wildly outgunned. But there was a character-defining moment in that where this guy who had been raised, think this is a guy who had been through Pearl Harbor, had been in a Japanese internment camp. This is not a man who has any love for his enemies. And to him, his enemies are anything that is not human. Any alien race we have encountered has been an existential threat to us. So this is part of his developmental culture. So even by the time he's an adult and can reason out that's not how the world works, this is who he is. Is He has a prejudice that he will probably never outgrow. And Tim was playing a character who was an alien. And there was a fight that we ended up in. It was a personal fight, not not between his character and mine, between our characters and some other characters. And in that fight, his character ended up really messed up. I guess you would put this in D&D terms. This is like way down into negative hit points. And he's hooked up to a bunch of life support machines. And with the technology that was available in that universe... The game master made it clear to me he's never going to be the same again. Mm. You know, the best case scenarios, maybe you can basically dump his brain into a jar or something like that. But, you know, my medical technology is all human oriented. He's not human. There's no saving this guy. So here my character is this guy who just just hated aliens with every fiber of his being because he'd seen all of these atrocities and whatever i mean once again his universe they were an existential threat to humanity and throughout a whole game of hatred and prejudice towards tim's character bim bim bim's character he's sitting there and the 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 race that he was from had these sort of tucked in wings that they could spread and sort of glide on Mm. they couldn't quite fly but they could they could kind of glide they'd get some airtime and the world that they came from had been uh, they used to be able to glide from like crag to crag mm. and tree to tree and whatever and it had gotten invaded by this alien race that we were fighting in this other universe okay so it got invaded by them and they had been taken captive and made slaves and all this stuff so all he had known his life was slavery and part of his character background is that he had talked back and so they had cut out his vocal cords so he couldn't talk there came this point where my character is sitting there looking at this thing that just he sees just with utter disgust but sees him after this big fight where he had contributed he was trying to create you know peace and justice in the galaxy it was the first time he had ever seen an alien 
in a way that was not full of hate. And realizing that he was never going to recover again, he took his hand in his and unplugged the life support machine and said, fly free. I want you to fly free for me. And he flatlined and died. And that completely changed my character's perspective because from there, it was not long after that that the story occurred that we told on the episode where that peace conference occurred that was really, I mean, this was a total Neville Chamberlain rollover peace. And Chad's character sabotaged it which I was completely in favor of because, I mean, it was basically it was it was peace on your knees. Right. And there was no way my character was going to accept that. And while Chad's character was destroying that peace conference, was guaranteeing peace would never be possible, that what happened next is either we are going to defeat these aliens or all of the free species, including what passes for humanity in this galaxy, was going to be exterminated. It was one of the two. This was an absolute tipping point existential war one side or the other is going to be exterminated and things did not look good for the good guys and chad goes down there and he basically guarantees no peace will ever occur there will not be peace Mm -hmm. in our time nope and my character's up there and he's got these mega warships but i mean how far does that really get you against an entire invading species right and that's where the game ended And so that was a huge, huge turning point is because for the first time ever, he looked at these things that were pure, abject, just things of hatred, just despicable filth. They were subhuman to him in every way. They're worth nothing. And for the first time, he actually had to look at one and really understand life through the eyes of a species that had actually suffered more than his own had. And it was a huge, huge turning point in the character. Mm Mm-hmm. Top that, Brodor. Go. I'm not gonna, (laughs) and I'm not going to try. I have a couple of moments that aren't anywhere near as interesting or in-depth as that, but I will say that most of my experience as a gamer has been as a game master and not as a player, so I have more elements that I recall Mm -hmm. as a game master than I do as a player, so you're boring bullshit game master plot, (laughs) right? That's insignificant to those particular remarkable character moments. But no, I'm not going to attempt to follow that. So what I want to posit here, or what I want to ask is, you know, we'll take Dan's example of your character. Right. You know, that that wasn't dice, that wasn't a combat thing, that was a very heavy heavy role-playing moment. I was there. I mean, that not a dry eye in the house moment of role-playing. And the game master at the time, I believe, was Paul. I believe Paul was running at that um, moment, yes. He, through that scene, he was he did exactly what a game master was supposed to do. He shut up, and he sat back and let it happen. And what I want to ask is the opposite of that. What can a game master do, if anything, to create character-defining moments for his players? I, you know, let me give you an opposite example of this, where I, as a game master, did engineer a character-defining moment for someone else, which ironically involves the exact same person. This was another <laughs> BIM story, yes. where he was playing what was supposed to be, this was a D&D, and he was playing this priest of, I don't remember what religion, but it was some god that was supposed to be all about peace and love and healing and whatever. I don't even remember which. God of lawful goodness. Uh, yeah, god of decency at any right. rate. And his solution to everything was, I'm going to whoop its ass, I'm going to whoop its ass, I'm going <laughs> to whoop its ass. And it's like, 
okay, this, this is getting too ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So he had written into his background that he was pretty well estranged from his that's fam. Like, that's like the D&D game I ran where Phil was a druid and he tried to set a tree on fire because the guy he was chasing <laughs> ran up it. <laughs> it's like your look on your face, Brodor, is the look that everybody around the table was like, wait a minute. Especially because <laughs> if you can successfully ignite one tree, that means probably all the trees around it he are in, in a the forest. forest. As, a, as opposed to commuting with the tree and asking it, brother, can you help me out? <laughs> can, I don't know. Crush him, throw him down. Yeah, just, I don't know. Can we just do like the way they harvest? What is it, like walnuts or whatever? Just shake the tree until it <laughs> yeah. all falls no, out? No, it's flint and tinder and, you know, <laughs> yeah. the Greek fire that every D&D player has I, and set the goddamn I've, tree on I've fire. I've said it before on this show, and I'll say it again. <laughs> I don't game with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he's the one who, his druid, sorry, Dan, had a dog, and he essentially abuse the dog i mean the dog i mean he didn't like hit did it you, did the game master strip him of his druidic powers so I, he's like you know like you would punish a paladin for a wrong so, doing so he's like he didn't beat up the, the dog but he would just like okay hey so there's he's a hallway like, with a bunch of traps okay fido why don't you go first <laughs> so he's like the son of michael vick right <laughs> and whatever the evil twin is of smoky Okay. Bear. So, but all right. So, I don't <laughs> like animals. This is I've said this on the show before. I'm not an animal person. I don't like dogs. I don't like right. animals. My character felt so sorry for this druid's <laughs> dog. I started doing things with role playing stuff where I started getting the dog to like me, and I adopted the dog <laughs> away from his abusive well, owner. Because at some point, like, okay, for example. I'm not huge into kids, right? Mm-hmm. But there comes some point <laughs> yeah. where, I mean, you watch some abusive parent backhand <laughs> like a kid, kids. and that has to bother you. You don't like kids. I don't like dogs. We're not monsters. Sur- I'm not so Surprisingly, I know from yeah. personal experience that most people won't say a word. Yeah. <laughs> I, okay. I'm not. I'm not most people. Okay. I that that's it, just anecdotal <laughs> evidence. Come on, Brodor. Most people are so uncomfortable by it, but then they're scared because what if this bully who's beaten on with this child whoops my ass? <laughs> Man, I okay. You All guys, right, this got dark. Yeah, this got dark. <laughs> we know my, this back. You know what Brodor's been through, and you know my my <laughs> predilection. So we're just going to move back to back to a gaming story. All right, yeah. but but. Bim's character had been pretty much ostracized from his family because they it was it was a merchant family. They wanted him to follow the family. Every character he had had, had was ostracized. Of course, yeah, it was really a thing of Marvel. The first time we had a character in any of our games who had a positive relationship <laughs> with his or her parents. But the point being that uh, he had this. I believe one is Batman. He had this little sister. I think it was that he was incredibly close to. And his answer to everything was just violence, 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 right. violence, violence. And so I set up the scene where oh, you trapped him. I remember that. Yes. It was such a move. But it, it was, brilliant. but it needed to be done where they were trying to get this painting that was itself pseudo magical. Right. But more than that was a clue or a key to getting a very, very powerful magical artifact. And so they were trying to recover it. Because a goblin tribe had ended up with it by accident. They just happened to raid the right castle and didn't have any idea what they had. And in the middle of this, 
I say, you know, this this dark sort of shadowy figure, like even in mm. broad daylight, appears like a shadow and grabs this painting and runs off with it. So it's clearly there's magic work here. So he chases after this figure. And the figure, you know, runs into a cave where these goblins have sort of been hiding out. And he chases and demands that this thing stop. And, and you know, it was all this stuff. And was looking through spell list and didn't really have anything to help him with this. And finally, the person is chasing runs out of space to run is at the edge of this place where a river has worn like, you know, hundreds of feet down into this cave system. And he grabs the painting and pushes this monster over the edge. And as the monsters fall and the illusion disappears, and it was his little sister who had been under mind control by somebody who simply wanted to devastate him as a person. And that's why most characters are Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing, Wayne. I would not have used that. I know a lot of people say, I'm it, not going to give my was, character family because you'll abuse it. It was a dick move. But it needed to be done. But yeah. it needed to be done. It, I mean, it, it's hard to kind of convey that. I mean, I was there for this game. Look, think of it this way. If you know anything about the life of Adolf Hitler, imagine if you had the opportunity to kill his abusive uncle. So, <laughs> it's that so right. did the character have the opportunity to roll it back, like dive in after an nope. attempt to save her? He had no okay. ability. I mean, could he have? Yes. Theoretically. But the thing is, the character was so focused on kicking at this. Okay, on kill, remember, kill, kill. Well, the, it's what good guys do is they kick in your yeah. door while you're asleep and they murder you while you're asleep the, and they take your, and they justify it based on their alignment. Yeah, the, yeah I the get The cleric it. of love and peace right. and harmony could only kill, kill, kill. Yeah. So, no, he couldn't. Yeah, yeah he, he, he had again. nothing within his means to stop this. Now, had he had the right spells, I'm a big believer and give the player, I mean, sure. At this point, I've made my point, right? right? The message has gotten across. If he had had some spell by which he could have saved her, I would have not stopped him from doing it. Here's what happened, though. But, all right, go on. Well, uh, and then I'll give my... Here's what happened. I mean, like I said, it was a dick move. Totally admit that it, on Dan's part, it was a dick move. Yes. That needed to be done. It made Bim stop. Yes. And think about his character. And he did. From that point forward, his character radically yes. reformed yeah and he suddenly became instead of shaking his fist in impotent rage at dan he's like wow my character just did this this happened now i have to think what would my character how would he yes. deal with this well how would a real person deal with this because my character is not a real person he's just a somebody who sprung from the earth and started killing in the name of love <laughs> <laughs> and but, now i just killed the thing he loves the most. most and so now there's this whole guilt thing and that wasn't it, it was great because it didn't go on this path of retribution it was a lot of guilt and right. it forces him to reflect yeah. right. on all his so, actions up to this point right. every other person that he has killed mm -hmm. was someone's little sister so, or loved right. one etc so right let me answer your question with a bunch of very careful caveats mm -hmm. can a game master set up a moment that changes the character i think the answer in a, in a way that defines it. sure yeah. i think the answer is yes but you have to know two things one you have to identify a course that the character is on a very obvious course the character's mm -hmm. on so you have to see what is it that's going to motivate this character to change is this character too violent too peaceful too pro this too anti that you know what is it that is really sort of defining this character where if this was real life we would need to get 10 people together and have an intervention <laughs> so right. honestly i mean yeah. seriously think of it that way but then the second thing that i would look at is is this something where if you talk to 
the person playing the character. Because obviously a character is nothing more than an extension of the player. Are they going to get the message? Let's use real life as an example, and I, I won't get too detailed. But I would wager that most of us, if not all of us sitting here, and probably most, if not all people listening to this, have had someone in their life they've cared about where they've been able to identify something in their life that needed to change. But they tried to do that intervention, the person didn't listen, or maybe they didn't bother because they knew the person wouldn't listen. And I think you do have to look at that as well. Is is what you're going to do? Do you know the person well enough to have any idea what impact this is going to have on the character? Let me give you an example of one that was simply lightning in a bottle. This was not something that could have been planned. It just happened. Bob Ahrens ran a game. I was talking at, at one of the previous shows how I wanted Bob Ahrens to run post-apocalyptic watership down and <laughs> yeah. he did but instead of a, a post nuke it was it was a bunch of bunnies living in siberia or you know the russian frozen waste around the time of the tunguska blast okay mm-hmm. which for who's not with their history a meteor mm-hmm. descended upon the earth and detonated over the russian wilderness with such force that it was like more powerful than an atomic bomb that's ever been built by man. Okay. It would have killed an enormous amount of people if not for the fact that it happened in the middle of nowhere. And we were rabbits who had barely survived this. And when we saw the decay and saw how little was left to forage and how little hope there was left and how many other animal refugees because it's this dystopian kind of Disney thing, right? We can talk to their animals, but there's so many of them with so much need and so little hope that my character did something very against my own personality. Morally, I'm what they call deontological, for anyone who's not into the big words. What that basically means is that I follow a system of morality that stands on its own. Okay, so if you believe in honor or a religion, or, or some idea that there's an absolute right and wrong that's set by outside standards, that's a deontological morality. Now, typically, the most common opposite of that, I guess it's really not an opposite, but the different morality is what they call a utilitarian morality, which basically says that you want to create the most pleasure and the least suffering for the most number of people. All right, so that's basically the difference. And I myself am very deontological. I believe there's right and wrong, and it is worth dying for what is right, even if I see nothing to gain from having done it right for right's sake. Now, you can debate that or whatever. It's really out of the scope of this show. But my rabbit became morally utilitarian Mm. and basically said, you know what? We've only got so much space. We've only got so much food. These other rabbits can go get bent. <laughs> it's our warrens in here, and we're going to hold this stuff. And he had, he had actually managed to find, I think it was like three or four hunting dogs, and had convinced them, had basically kind of like become their mastermind and talked them into killing their abusive owner. And they basically became his hit squad, <laughs> which puts him at the top of the food chain. Yeah. Right. So he's kind of like one of the pigs from Animal, uh, Farm. Animal Farm at this point. And he's basically like, yeah, me and the dogs and our Warren, we're all chill here. Anybody who comes knocking on our door trying to take our stuff or whatever, that's what the dogs eat. And Bob Arns was even a little bit floored by this. <laughs> right. I mean, it was a, it was abominous. Hey, man. <laughs> 
in Soviet Russia, rabbit eats you. <laughs> I mean, a rabbit hunts the hunter. I mean, yeah, it was it was an. I mean, really, I I was morally repulsed by my own character. Scott Bonner was morally repulsed and did a bunch. He did not do a great job hiding it. He, he was he was he was like, damn. Even I was like, well, I can understand it well enough to follow it, but if this was me in real life, there's no way I, I couldn't live this way. But I, within the context of the character, I could make that kind of sense. But the point is, Bob didn't plan that. Right. Because Bob had no idea how he was going to play that character. He simply so should a game master. But here's what he did. Trying to find that. Here's what Bob, you can do. You can't create the change, but you can create the opportunity. Mm. I would compare it to friendship or love. I'm sure, once again, most people listening to this, most people sitting here on this table right now, have been in a situation where somebody in their life tried to engineer a romance, tried to engineer a friendship of these two people has so much in common. Surely if we just put them at the same table and keep bringing up topics, they're both interested in, then sparks it, will happen. Magic's going to happen, yeah. right? No kiss. And sometimes it does. And sometimes it doesn't because you can't engineer that. Right. Right. There's all this complexity and nuance, how the human mind works. But what you can do is create that opportunity. You can create that moment where, you know, you can choose to introduce two people or introduce somebody to a moment that challenges them morally, right? I mean, in that Watership Down game, my rabbit had to make the choice between do the right thing and probably everybody starves or do the wrong thing, which I will tell you is Dan, I think was the wrong thing. Scott Bonner is correct. My character was morally repugnant. (laughs) But at least some rabbits live. Yeah. And now Bob didn't make that choice, Mm -hmm. but he did make the situation that forced me to make that choice. Right. Hmm. What about you guys? As a GM, I've never engineered that type of thing. But I have, in a few cases, the way the story has worked out, one person I felt would be best to get the kill Mm -hmm. in an actual combat situation. Chad... I have robbed you of a rightful kill because from a story mm-hmm. standpoint, that was Beth's moment. Right. And of all the explain pe- that, explain that. Cause th- that's, uh, I want to hear the details on this. It, so this was a, this was the Dresden game. Okay. And, and remember th- I'm playing the murder. Right. 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 Murder You're playing guy. the Eads bridge troll. Right. Yes. A literal bridge troll. Yes. Yep. He is the powerhouse, but the way the story has gone down up to this point, mm-hmm. it's been Beth's story arc. Yes. Where she has been building up her character. She's been getting used to using her. She has one of the uh, swords of the cross and she's getting used to using it. And then it's the final battle with the big bad that it's been personal between her and the big bad this whole time. The troll comes in. Yeah. The troll gets initiative. By all rights, Chad's combat role should have killed that big bad. And I stole it from him. And that is because from a character moment, that was Beth's character Mm -hmm. moment. So, okay, now I know Beth was playing A Knight of the Cross, and Just right? so everyone's clear, he didn't ask me. We didn't arrange it. This was yes. Wayne GM fudging. Right. And yep. I didn't know until just now. I, I can live yep. with that. I, and I, it's something I don't like to do, but in this case... And of all the people to do it to that are around that table, I'm probably the best one to do that to because I GM a lot. And I get it, yeah. right? You know, I get... Having you know, wanting to make that moment well, for the character. My take that. on the it character is... has finally accepted who she is, what she is. Okay, and now she's ready to strike it down 
and here comes the troll. Yeah, and then the tin so, ton so train. So comes what was in. the enemy? Was it like some kind of demon or something? Because vampire. Okay, so it's a vampire. So she's this like holy knight. Yeah. Yep. And, and so here's this force of spiritual darkness, and she's finally learned to whoop its ass. Exactly. Okay. No, you know, Wayne, I could totally accept that because. Oh, but it's cheating. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. blah. I don't care. But I... I I don't care. I don't mind if success is passed from me to another player, assuming it's not like rampant favoritism, just Mm. because it makes sense in the story arc. I only feel cheated if the party as a whole is cheated. This is one of my personal quirks. Like, if I'm playing Blackjack, and I win a hand, and somebody I actually like, you know, like, I know, like, I play blackjack a lot with John. Yeah. And if they, if not I, sitting at your kitchen table, you guys go to the right, casino. Right. I'm talking at the casino. Yeah. If they take, if they give me additional chips from the dealer's stock, mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. Right. If John loses and I win and they hand me his chips, I can't do it. I push it back to him. I don't know. I mean, I totally admit this is completely a quirk of my psychology, but it's, you didn't give me new chips. You gave me his. Right. And it's like, I don't care as long as somebody is succeeding, right? And so... But all the money the casino gives you belong to someone else. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) I'm not stupid. I I understand... How the math of all this works, you know, you know I'm telling you right down? now, this is personal neurosis. That's sure. all it is. I get it. The same type of thing. I love eating meat. I don't want to see my burger's face. I see it like that. Yeah. You don't want to see where it came from. You just want them to give you money. I'm a, I'm a chat. You know I don't what? have a problem with it, that. Yeah. Now. If it's the dealer's money, it doesn't bother me. If it's John's money, it bothers me because I what? feel like I was just I would I basically just robbed. What if the dealer excused themselves, went over to the neighboring table, <laughs> took a stranger's chip, and then gave it to you? <laughs> you know, you want to know the honest answer? Yeah, yeah. I would probably walk over to the table and give it back. Honest yeah. to God, answer. Brain wiring. Yes, is like a moral code. Yes, thing? It's it, it is. Wiring. Honestly, I'm not saying yeah. there, there is no rationality to it. Okay, yeah. so anyone who's like, "Well, Dan, do you realize the casinos this?" Because yes, I know. <laughs> I get how it works. Yeah. Right, the house always wins, at least in the grand scale. I have walked out of casinos before in the black. I've walked out actually. If I look at my not that I I don't gamble a lot of money. I go in with a very fixed amount right. of money. I gamble small amounts of money, and I do so infrequently. But if you were to look at the sum total of my gambling experiences, I am in the black against the casinos. But I understand they function because of the fact that the vast majority of people that walk out of there are in the red, not in the black. I, I'm not naive about how this works, but it's just something psychological about. It's like. If I ate a piece of bread and had no idea where it came from, I'd eat a piece of bread. And I'd like it or hate it for knowing it's a piece of bread. Right. But if like I'm at a sandwich shop and I'm like, well, I want this sandwich, and I see them go outside and like kick some homeless kid away from the dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's that's, like that's some good bread, right? Yeah. There. I mean, it's just like it just changes every well, the dumpster part aside. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you, you just it, I don't know. It's like, wow, okay, now I, I can't... See, see, that was my character-defining moment when I was playing blackjack, we were in between hands, a dealer from a neighboring table came over and took a chip from me and gave it to a player at that neighboring table. That player got up, walked <laughs> over back, gave me my chip back, and that's when I realized I was a degenerate <laughs> and I quit gambling. <laughs> 
But to, to, your, to your question, can yeah. you plan these character moments? So, I, I think I think at any rate, for Game Master, can you create the opportunities? Yes. Right. If you are planning that to happen, I think you are treading on very thin ice. I think it is far more likely to blow up in your face, especially if it's not just a wouldn't be cool if, but my game's progression hinges upon. Mm-hmm. You it's know, much easier if you're running the game and during the course of the game, you see the opportunity and create it for them. I think that's also correct, Wayne, that if you don't plan it per se, but you read the table and you see, well, Brodor's character, he's getting greedier and greedier and greedier, <laughs> but he has abuse and poverty in his own background. <laughs> and suddenly he sees a guy at another table <laughs> tip a little orphan boy with a $5 chip before his mom throws him through a wall or whatever. <laughs> and then a dealer takes that and brings it over to him. That is going to force him to confront some things that you've seen him dealing with. But I, what if the dealer was a Marilith? <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's not go down this road. But I, I think that then he'd give her the money and she'd spit in his mouth. And yeah. <laughs> I think that's the advice right there though, is what you were saying about you create the opportunity, but you don't force the decision. Right. And right? you because, also don't hinge upon because it. Because I, I have played in games where the game master has all but taken my character sheet and made the decisions for my character. And that's not how I want to play. No. It's not interesting and it's forced. And if that's what you're going to do, you shouldn't play a role playing game. Sure. Or a board game. I played board games like that before. You know, I can look at the moving. I can look at the life defining. They're called co op, (laughs) right? I can look at the defining moments of my life as a real person, and I can look through it and I can see that there were some lessons, there were some difficulties, there were even some positive things that I experienced because somebody else made the event happen. Chad, for example, for many years, close friend I had in the world is probably Mike K, who used to be a a host on the show, and I met him because. You saw role play, yeah, geek stuff in his locker and brought him down to, you know, meet and talk to mm-hmm. the group that there was there at the time. And out of that came a friendship. You introduced me to Paul. You know, I mean, I yep. can I can go down a list of these friendships. I introduced you to Wayne. I introduced you to Pat. Tim. You know, I mean, I can go through these things where somebody did inter- engineer mm-hmm. the situation. And sometimes it does work. But I think if you are hinging on that, if you're expecting that this is how it's going to be, that that's a really, really, really bad idea. I don't know well, where I, we found Brodor. I, I think that's an entirely different topic for another episode. But as a game master, you cannot have expectations of behavior. You can attempt right. to anticipate behavior, but you cannot be so built up on an expectation of certain choices or behavior from your players because you're just going to be disappointed. It's going to drive you crazy because they're not going to do generally what you expect them to do. Right. What about when a player comes to you, the game master and says, I want to have a character defining moment. I love that. I actually had that recently in my fifth edition D and D game where we were building up to this big battle against the big bad. And one of my players pulled me aside. We went into another room and he said, look, this is the point where Scaldi sacrifices himself. Mm-hmm. This is the part where I think that my character's arc has run its course and I want it to end with the sacrifice of this character. Yeah. And then, you know, that, but that was orchestrated with the player. Well, mm-hmm. but I, I think I would add another caveat to that. 
which is with the game master and the player in agreement upon where they want to see this go, there is a good chance that you can start to kind of nudge things in that direction and make that happen. Instead of changing targets, the enemy keeps smacking on him, you know, or you throw in, okay, this enemy has some kind of Achilles heel, silver kills him, whatever, and you find that out when this guy throws himself into the big bat with the silver ring held aloft, or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm being silly, but but whatever the situation is. But I think even there, you still have to accept the fact that it may not pan out that way. Yeah, because- let's say you come up with a situation between Chad's running the game you want to sacrifice your character. You go for your big moment. My character sleeps you, steps in, takes your place. Yes. As right. my defining and, moment. And, I've and seen, that wasn't planned at and all. And I've seen things yeah. like that well, happen. Well, you orchestrated because the, the bridge troll came in and was going <laughs> to kill the bad guy because that's how the dice fell. But then behind the scenes, behind the screen, if you will, <laughs> it just worked out the way it Sure. But out. I mean, sometimes yeah. it's so obvious or so on the table, you know, the like. That's really the magic ultimate sort of sign of an experienced game master is when they're bold and you don't know. Yeah, right. I honestly think that fudging are tools in the GM's box. No, and I don't disagree. Well, there's another episode. <laughs> well, and I don't. You know, there's a I whole don't, load of hate mail yeah. right there. I don't disagree with that, except to say that there are times that everything is so obvious, so above the table, right? That it's. I mean, you're just lo- you. My thing you're is, sitting there with a loaf of bread in your hand, saying, "I have no bread." My thing is, and it's you can't be afraid of abuse from like fudging or, or the tools in the game master's toolbox, because any tool in the game master's toolbox can be abused. Sure. It's not the tool. Fudging is not bad. Being an is bad. Right. And I I guess what I would say is I think that you have to accept that what you are doing is you are not making something happen. You are simply stacking the probability. Sure. But you've also got to have player buy-in the other people at the table. So, in Wayne, in your situation with the Dresden game, yep. if the other players at the table had known or had had in their gut an instinct that this is what was going on in this particular defining moment for Beth's character, would that have made a difference in their enjoyment of the game? With our group, I don't think so. With other groups I've sat in, I do think so. And right. my situation's the same thing with Mike's character in my D&D game. Had everybody at the table been privy to our private conversation and saw how the game played out, ultimately, I don't think that they would have cared because they would have appreciated, A, the narrative that's been constructive, and B, the finality of Mike's character's story arc at that moment. Well, going off that, think about it from, a, from another angle, too. Let's take the Beth example. What if before the game, Wayne had contacted every person in the group except Beth and said to them, guys, this story arc has been Beth building up. Like a surprise party in the game. I love it. It's just like, let's together make this happen. I think that's a great idea because Beth is a human being. Once again, the player behind the character still gets the enjoyment out of it. I think, It's Wayne has one of two options. I guess the way that I would put it is Wayne really has a question to ask, which is who is going to be left in the dark? Mm -hmm. Because if nobody's left in the dark, then you might as well put away the dice and just tell the story. And in my case, this wasn't planned going in. Right. This was the at that moment. I'm sure. But if you had if you had planned it, I think you could have either told only Beth. Mm -hmm. You could have told everybody but Beth. You could have told Beth plus Chad, mm-hmm. but I think if you had told everyone at the table, then 
I don't think it would have the personal impact that you want it to have on the players because look, yeah. you don't play a role playing game for the characters. You play it for the enjoyment of the players. And in the same way, so I guess what you're saying, part of a defining moment for a character is not just for that person playing the character, but it's also the stories and the feelings of everybody around them. Yeah, so absolutely. in that situation, Beth is like, she doesn't know. She can never know. And she's like, oh, yeah, this is great. And everyone's like, yeah, that's great for you. And we help do that. They get they don't feel bad. They just feel different. They well, sure, but we but but as a player, I would feel I participated in that, right? Yeah. I I I was part of your enjoyment yeah. of the game and the spotlight being on you and your shining moment, and that makes me feel well. Warm I, and I, I I've done this in settings other than role playing games where people come to me and say, "Look, we know so and so's having a really tough time, so we're gonna all do something really nice for him, and everybody knows about it, but but him." And you still feel really good when you see mm-hmm. the enjoyment on their face, even if you were in on the surprise from yeah. the word go. And I think even if they find out later, you were in on the surprise from the word go. It does not take away from what happened to that person in that moment. And it doesn't always work. The real life situation. I had an employee that was getting ready to go out on maternity leave. So a couple of the guys put he together. <laughs> no, the couple of the guys put together a plan of we're going to surprise her and we're going to throw a little going away party and we're going to have cake and all this. And it is going to be Friday. She went out on maternity leave on Thursday. <laughs> hey, free more cake. cake. Yeah, this sounds like a positive surprise for everyone else. I love cake. Oh, right. <laughs> so. All right. Anyways, I think that's where we're going to wrap this one up. Once again, you. Fear the Con 10 is coming up. There's going to be a I kick- saw you fingering that. There's going to be. <laughs> oh, your pee. Don't, why do you touch it? I don't know. Why every time you touch it? I am going. It didn't come glossy from the printer. <laughs> it's not it coming glossy that I'm worried about. <laughs> it's not glossy. It's kind of pearlescent. So, opaque-ish. Do I need to buy you gloves? I, I, a cybernetic can't. left hand? <laughs> He's getting ready to move. That's going to stay in the house and be burnt down. Uh, oh, he's done with it. I'm taking it home. So anyways, Fear the Contents Kickstarter is coming up. So be watching for that. It'll be kicking off right at the top of November. So please you get in there and back that. We'll be linking that in the show note once it launches. Beyond that, have a great week and great games. And we will catch you next time. What do you want to say? I, no, no, no. I just need to be on the mics at all. Absolutely. Then Chad say... See ya. (laughs) (laughs) This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2016. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.